Hello, my name is Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMNM, and I'm super excited to be part of today's sponsored podcast with IPG Health. Here with me today are IPG Health's Lisa Dujat, Chief Talent Officer, and Mariella Arachena, Director of Talent Acquisition. Lisa and Mariella, welcome to the MMNM podcast, and thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us, Mark. Great to be here. Absolutely. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? So we know many in our audience understand that engaging and resonating with multicultural audiences is now table stakes for healthcare marketing, but not a lot of firms have the diversity in their workforce that's required. MMNM's 2022 diversity survey conducted in partnership with IPG Health found that while 73% of survey respondents said they have a company-wide DEI strategy, just 51% said their DEI metrics reflected an increased representation of diverse people at their organizations from 2021 to 2022. Lisa and Mariella will discuss strategies for creating the talent pool of the future and how they invest in talent after the initial onboarding process. We'll also discuss IPG Health's larger EDI strategy and ways that the network is embedding its principles throughout the key pillars of the business. I know you'll find their tips on nurturing talent pipelines from untraditional places highly relevant, considering that this is a challenge nearly all organizations are facing. Lisa, can you just start by uh, telling me a little bit about IPG Health's general approach to talent acquisition? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So we're fortunate over the past several years that we've been able to really match our talent acquisition team and strategy to the overarching IPG Health agenda, which tends to focus on growth. We say it's the growth of our business and the growth of our people. So we've built the TA team to really match that. We've made it scalable. So for instance, as the organization grows, we've been able to scale the team to keep up with that growth. Mariela is going to talk, I'm sure, a little bit about some of the things that we've put into place, which include having expertise in different functions. We've built sourcing teams to help make sure that we're constantly looking for unusual talent, not just usual suspects. So we have really spent a lot of time and energy to make sure that this team has been built to keep the organization moving forward. Right. And certainly in terms of strategy, we continue to lean in to talent acquisition with the curiosity in mind always. And so I think because of our growth over the years, Lisa can attest to that uh, we could never say there's no talent out there. Um, (laughs) We have to essentially screen in, right? And I think that we've been looking at our strategies over the past couple of years and certainly looking to enhance how we look for talent, where we look for talent, but also how we interview them and, and, you know, opening up that mindset that typically is very traditional because we are a very specialized industry. And so we tend to want to look for just talent that fits the company and the culture, but more and more we're trying to get out of that you know, mindset and add and and look to talent that can actually bring much more richness to the culture in the workplace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that kind of how you've recalibrated your screening philosophy, if you will, over the last couple of years? Do you kind of think about talent in terms of, well, this this person will really enrich our multicultural marketing approach? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Definitely. I think our screening philosophy has always been screen in versus screening out. I think that's just the nature of who we've been. Um, And as we recalibrate, a lot of the focus is actually turning to interviewing and knowing what we're looking for in talent that isn't looking 
as traditional as we typically look for. So asking ourselves, what does this talent bring to the business? What does it bring to our organization as a workplace? And getting a little bit more curious about their experiences and their lived experiences as well. Yeah. Sure, sure. Mark, if I could build a little bit on that, because Mariel is also... She's being humble. <laughs> Some of the other things that I think her team has done, but one of the things I think is really important, at this, especially in this time of, of such a talent shortage in general, right, is that you know always a focus on the candidate experience and making sure that we're providing a good opportunity, you know, a good experience for somebody coming in, and then living what we call proactive career management very early in the game, which means when somebody comes in for an interview with IPG Health. If we have three different opportunities that suit them, they are introduced to all the three opportunities. And I think that's just been such an amazing thing for our candidate pool. And then another thing I've always found fantastic, Mariel is always meeting with our leaders and talking about what other skills do you need? What other, what, what, what do you see you're going to need to build in the next few years? Traits you're going to want to find in people as you're, as, and as we're interviewing, we're going to look for those. And then we're going to also go out and look for building those pipelines of talent for the future. So it's not just what do you need today and in the next three weeks, but what do you think you're going to need in the next few years? And I think having that very, very proactive mentality has been huge for us as well. Mm -hmm. Right. Allows you to stay proactive rather than reactive, which is uh, half the battle. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know COVID nineteen has certainly impacted the talent effort. How have you seen the industry evolve from a recruitment standpoint since the start of the pandemic? I think you know it's definitely like many other industries. It's definitely become a lot more flexible. I think the industry has has started to get a little bit more flexible, not only in terms of the talent that we're looking for within the industry, but also the process, right? So I've seen a lot more speed within the process, which heightens up the competition, certainly within the industry. And I think because of that, we do have to think very much outside the box, right? We have to, you know, certainly think about the talent that we're competing for, but also building the talent, you know, from within and, and going to other areas that we don't normally go after and just going through other channels as well to make sure that we are addressing the needs of the business. But it's definitely, in my mind, definitely evolved since the pandemic. I think the flexibility, I have to echo that. So many more employees coming in remote, so many more managers being open to that concept, which again, two and a half years ago was a once in a while thing, but now it's it's a pretty common request. And then just I, to add to Mariella, I think it's cast us a much wider net, given us much more opportunities to go further out in the field, look for people we wouldn't normally have access to. So it's I think it's been a plus to us. Are all those requests for remote usually granted or are there exceptions to that? We have found there is a fairly small group of jobs that requires more in person, but in general, we have been fairly flexible in our approval of those remote requests. Right. And I think we're also, Lisa, you would agree, finding that the employees uh, and the talent themselves are the ones who are looking for yeah. this flexibility. So it's really a candidate's market and we have to be as competitive as possible. So the flexibility, I think, is required in many areas. Sure, sure. You mentioned earlier about looking beyond the tried and true avenues as you look to build your workforce. Can you kind of build on that? Why, why is it so critical to be looking in non-traditional places for healthcare marketing, communications, yeah. talent, if, if the talent is out there? 
And we talk about this a lot. You want to keep your talent pool fresh. I mean, I think if you if you look at the pharmaceutical or healthcare advertising industry, you could find yourself talking to the same people over and over again, people who have moved from one agency or network to another. And I think really we owe it to ourselves and to our clients to continue to look at people who are coming in with different perspectives, different lived experiences, um, different industries. I think as difficult as sometimes it is for somebody to transition from a different industry, they bring such an incredible value to the organization, to our work, that it's worth doing. So I, th- I think we owe it to everybody to make sure that we're consistently looking for fresh talent pools. Yeah, yep, I, I agree. And I think that our industry also just requires us. I mean, the future of health requires us to stay innovative and to innovate all the time. And so in order to do that, we do have to keep an open mind and we do have to go and look for fresh perspectives out there to make the work better and to make the workplace better too as well. Because I think it's all tied together. Sure. And then doing so is easier said than done. Talk about how you recruit non-traditional talent. And can you share any any programs or examples? <laughs> oh, wow. That's, that's uh, we can go on and on and on about that. It's definitely, uh, it takes a lot of time and effort and it takes a lot of commitment. I think that in creating some of these programs like the residency and the reboot program and even write it forward, right? From a recruitment standpoint, we have to start fresh with our strategies, right? We have to look outside of our industry, and that takes a lot of time. We often partner with our employees and our leads to identify where else we can go, um, what other organizations we can partner with, what other schools are we looking at. And so once we identify those key channels, we start to definitely introduce healthcare advertising and IPG Health to them so that they can certainly get a better understanding of it. So it takes a lot of recruitment marketing. It takes a lot of certainly some activations that we've done through the recruitment process. And once they have that information, then the key is really to get them in the door, get them through the program. And then there's also like recruiting towards the end of the program because we have to make sure that once they've completed these programs, that they find the best home within our network, right? It's not a matter of just slotting them in to any particular team. It takes an additional step for recruiters to go in and get a good assessment of how they did during the program, what are they interested in, and who we can connect them with to set them up for success as best as possible. Sure. And you mentioned a few programs there. You have Reboot, which is for veterans, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, the residency, which is for, as I understand it, mainstream marketers who want to kind of make yeah. the leap into medical right. marketing and kind of introducing them to healthcare marketing. You have internships yes. from unusual uh, places. And you mentioned another, a fourth program, I believe. So the Write It Forward program is the most recent one that we've been pretty successful with. And that program is targeted towards folks who want to learn how to copyright within the healthcare industry. So we look for, again, non-traditional talent and teach them ropes in terms of uh, what we do within that space. And I think this all goes back to that philosophy and Mariella hit it a little bit earlier, which is we never really have the opportunity in IPG Health to say we can't find the talent. In fact, anybody who ever says the talent isn't out there, 
you know, get some stunned, stunned silence from us. So I think the concept of building what we can't find naturally sometimes, so build the pipelines, find different ways of um, bringing people into the industry is, is, is embedded in who we are. So that's a lot of how those programs came to life. Just we need more talent, so we're going to figure out how to build it or bring it in. It's, it strikes me as a very deliberate way to kind of go yeah. after talent that you know is there. It just kind of needs some Absolutely. retraining or adjustment yeah. so that it's a, it's, it's a good fit. Talk about some of the benefits you've seen when, when bringing non-traditional talent into the organization. Absolutely. If nothing else, the very first thing you'll see is you're just you're bringing in new perspectives. Your creative work will often have a different tone when you bring in different people to actually ideate. And I think some of our stronger work in the last few years has come from those more diverse teams, those teams who had the, the differing points of view coming to the table. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think there have also been moments where, you know, we bring in such unique talent that we have leveraged them in different phases of the business, right? So even from a new business perspective, right, you have fresh perspectives from talent that may be passionate about the sciences, but doesn't necessarily come from an advertising agency. And they can speak to a category or speak to a therapeutic category or, or, you know, just a brand or something, some other area that would help the business. And so I remember a couple of years ago, we hired a scientist, pure scientist, and took the leap of faith and um, came into an editorial function, but realized that he had just a breadth of knowledge that was useful for different phases of the business. So, and I think that's one thing that our organization does well, right? We collaborate very well across the network and we're in tune with where the talent is, what it brings. Obviously, our CEO is very good about that and she pulls in the talent and leverages it as best as possible. And I think people feel included and they feel like they have purpose when that happens, even though they're they're new to the business, to the industry for sure. I'll add to that a little bit. Just another example, we have culture and inclusion communities, which help us a lot as well. And recently, one of our campaigns, it was a therapeutic category and a disease state that actually affects more Hispanic people than other groups. And the group working on it had a diverse enough team that somebody actually said we should be doing this campaign Spanish first, not English first, which is our typical path for pretty much everything. And it's been such a huge success. And that, again, would never have happened if you didn't have the right people on that team willing to share their point of view. So I think it's two sides, right? You have to have the diversity on the team, but you also have to build an environment where they believe that they can raise their point of view and be heard. Yes, yes. I want to ask you about that as well. And just, just to interject another finding from the survey, uh, which I thought kind of gels nicely with the point that you both just made, was that two-thirds of respondents said that they're using checks and balances on creative work by tapping into their diverse employees. And I thought that was a nice indication of some of the early fruits of, of the of labors like this by diversifying your workforce, you're able to yeah. do the kinds of things that, that you just described and sort of better fine tuning, f- better calibrating a campaign that's meant yeah. uh, for a, a particular audience. So since you've brought it up, how do you grow and, and nurture the talent after the formal onboarding is over? I think what we are finding is that when you bring in somebody who does not have that cookie cutter background, they did not go through the same steps as the rest of the team that you may have, you have to put a little bit more time and energy 
into both onboarding and ongoing training for this person. So it's not to say that they aren't incredibly smart and talented, so they need all this extra help. It's just they need support in moving into this new industry. A lot of things that we've seen be really successful is beyond the first 90 days, making sure they still have a mentor, they still have, people haven't forgotten that they're new to the industry. Uh, making sure that if there's little training programs, I tell people from outside the industry to attend our summer internship program, Lunch and Learns. I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with going through and learning what we put our interns through, which is how the organization works and how we get things done. So if people could just take that little bit of extra time and make sure that they don't forget that this person may have a lot of getting up to speed to do, then you'll have a lot more success. So onboarding, really important, putting the time and effort, training, mentoring, and just knowing it might be a little bit more of an investment in the upfront. And of course, it'll, I believe, pay dividends in the long term, but it's not going to necessarily be your typical hire and move along. Right. You got to have that expectation from the get-go that it's going to take this individual a little longer to adjust. All of this being said, there are challenges. Can you, can you talk about some of the pitfalls to this approach? I mean, I would say the biggest challenge for many managers is hiring somebody who, as we say, can't hit the ground running, right? And so I think that the challenge in, in just providing the time and offering the time to train and develop and groom them is, I think, definitely the biggest, which is why I think, you know, the programs that have been created here are very supporting to managers because it used to be that we were always open to bringing in the fresh talent, the, the unique talent. And, you know, the teams would then be kind of thrown into having to develop them on their own, right? And now we have these programs who, you know, by the time they're done after eight to 12 weeks, they at least have a baseline of the ad, of, of the healthcare advertising industry. They have a really good baseline of who we are as a network and how we work and how the business works. And so by the time the manager actually inherits them, they are essentially just having to develop them and train them from a specific brand perspective, from their, their team perspective. But that first you know, peace has already been sort of accomplished for them. So I think it's definitely gotten better, you know, certainly with the programs in place. And I will say to add to the things that can go wrong, and I've, I've seen it, it's, it's when a manager just doesn't give somebody enough time or runway to succeed, or they bring somebody in specifically because they want a different, you know, perspective, and then they don't listen to it. <laughs> or they don't make the room for the person to share their points of view and experiences comfortably. So I think if, again, if you're going to bring in the talent in, you have to make sure that you're also ready to have somebody who may have a different point of view or bring in a different perspective and you should be able, you should be listening to that perspective. Right. Kind of remind them of, uh, you know, why they had a need for this in the first place. Well, we're talking about a very small uh, aspect of EDI. Yeah. I think listeners would also find it helpful to hear about IPG Health's larger strategy mm -hmm. and the role that recruitment plays in, in EDI in the organization because 
IPG is a, is a very large and well-respected uh, organization in the industry. So can you, can you talk to that a little bit? Absolutely. I mean, from an IPG health point of view, we are trying to tackle, and, and we've actually, we're, we're calling equity, diversity, and inclusion now. Um, so we have tried to embed EDI practices into all facets of what we do. You make a good point. It can't just be about hiring and onboarding. When we look at cultural consultations, which just like everybody else in the survey who responded that they have checks and balances, we have them. But what we've also discovered is that if you're doing some of the things right in the beginning of the process, so if your brief is set up the right way, if your medical 101s are set up correctly, you might not ever have to get to a cultural consultation situation. Um, You might not have to get to the point where somebody has to say, this work is offensive or this work is is not you know the way the the point of view that we want to put out in the world because so many things happen downstream to prevent that work from ever getting to that place in the first place so a lot of the work we're doing at ipg health is how do we embed real true change in our practices so that we we prevent things happening that we then have to correct hope that makes sense. So what can we do to make real change in how we do things? How do we take a lens to everything that we're doing and modify our practices so that we don't have to get to the place where we're fixing or correcting something down the road? Yeah. And I think that certainly recruiting is able to play a big part because the organization itself is continuing to evolve from an EDI strategy standpoint. So we're also often having conversations now with our hiring managers about, you know, diversity and what strategies we're using. It's truly become a partnership. And what we're now also leaning into is making sure that when we do bring the talent in, that we're offering the organization an opportunity to truly know the person's story to truly know what they bring to the table, really advocate for them. And it starts, you know, like Lisa said before, it starts at the screening stage for us these days. It's not necessarily something that you it used to start on day one, right? Once they're onboarded. Now we're we're saying as recruiters, we also need to be career advocates. We also need to understand the story so that we can convey that message to the organization and start the conversation much earlier on in the process. That's a really interesting way of looking at, at the role, yeah. Marianne, do you want to talk about culture ad at all? Yeah, I started to allude to it in the beginning of the conversation. Um, I think when we think about how we screen and interview talent, the culture ad focus has actually become a big one for the organization. And we're taking steps to start to embed what culture ad means for us and how we can actually hire for potential, how we can hire non-traditional talent better. What we're wanting to do now is making sure that the managers who are hiring, anyone who's hiring, understands that it's not a matter of culture fit as much anymore as it is what we can add to our culture. And so it's thinking into the future and thinking about the new skills and experiences and backgrounds and thinking styles that we could be bringing to the table. But the focus right now for us is really to equip our managers and our organization with 
the how we can actually do that and what culture ed really means to the organization as well, right? What is that? How does that come up? How does that manifest within our organization? And so we're leaning into that for sure. And it is, I think, going to be pretty critical to the success of our hiring process in the future. Sure. And culture uh, means a lot of different things. What do you think the workforce of 2025, say, will look like and how should agencies prepare for that uh, eventuality? We were talking about this um, last week and I was saying that for me, uh, it's already been evolving these past couple of years. So a couple of years ago, we had a conversation around what is it going to look like? And more and more talent is being much more decisive about what they want in their careers. They are also wanting to, you know, get more creative about their careers as well. There has been certainly an uptick, especially within the creative and tech space, uh, where talent is definitely looking for hybrid sort of roles, right? Roles where they can really like sink their teeth into different areas of the business, different areas, or, or even play to their strengths, right? And they may have more than one. So I think it's definitely going to look certainly much more hybrid from a skills and experiences standpoint from my perspective. And it's definitely going to be a lot more competitive because, you know, candidates are definitely reflecting a lot more these days in terms of, you know, what their what direction they want to take. I would agree. And I, we use the word fluid a lot. The idea that you just have to be fluid and open to what you're hearing in the market and what you're hearing from candidates and employees and just keep adapting. I think we will probably see more movement in the town space in the next few years than we've seen in decades, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Sure. Uh, one more question. I'll let you both go. Our uh, survey findings found many respondents acknowledging that their efforts are getting just getting started and, and progress is slow to materialize. Almost half said that their organization has been actively committed to improving DE&I for three years or less. So what's the low-hanging fruit for an organization that's just getting started? I think everything we've said today, there's there's several components and I don't think any of them happen without the other. So absolutely be open to and assertive actually about looking for and hiring more diverse talent. And, and if that means it might um, involve bringing people from more non-traditional industries, then putting in the processes to help them to succeed once they get there. I think any organization that's doing diversity training should have a big component that's focused on inclusivity. We put out a program um, in conjunction with an outside consultant a couple of years ago about inclusive manager training, and it changes people's mindsets. It really makes them realize their role as managers to help somebody feel included and successful in an organization. So I would, I would make sure that your training includes some level of building inclusivity. I would suggest looking at all your practices, uh, not just your HR practices, not just your hiring practices, not just your interviewing practices, but your work practices. How do you develop ideas? How do you reward people in your organization? And, and make sure that every one of those things is reconsidered in relation to having a more diverse workforce. And that will help to make the people that you're working so hard to bring into the organization successful. They'll, they'll be somewhere where they want to be and they feel valued and heard. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think that definitely the low hanging fruit for me, when you think about EDI, 
when you think about the D, I think diversity is definitely the low hanging fruit because it's, you know, the opportunity for us to find the talent, to find that fresh perspective, to look for unique talent out there. And I think we all know that the talent is out there to be found. The next steps, which become much harder, like Lisa said, is the equity piece of it, the inclusive piece of it, and even the engagement, right? Making sure that they're retained and that we can keep them, you know, within our organizations for for a long time and grow them while they're here. Very important considerations. Yeah. All right. Great. So diversifying the talent pool is easier said than done, but it's definitely becoming the way you market today. So I know these tips will prove very helpful to many people. So thank you very much. Uh, That was Lisa Dujat and Mariela Rochena at IPG Health. It was a great conversation. Come back for another one. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. And for anyone interested in taking a deeper dive into the study results, you can find the study results in our July-August issue of MMM, which is now live on our site, mmm-online.com. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone, and we'll see you next time on the MMM podcast. Take care. Thank you.